but there's a lot of interesting kind of contradictions in the ideologies about uh, how how to use land, how to use uh, <laughs> animals. From the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library, this is Stories from the Stacks. I'm Ben Spohn. And I'm Amaris Williams. Each episode, we sit down with one of our visiting researchers and talk to them about what they're finding in our collections. My name is Mallory Heward. I'm a second year um, PhD candidate um, at Penn State's Department of History, and I'm also pursuing a dual degree PhD in Women's Studies. Tell me a little bit more about the project that you're here sure. to work on at Hagley. Yeah, so I had one of my first um, projects in graduate school was looking at the national park system and questions of um, debates around preservation and conservation and how best to use natural resources, how to use public spaces. Um, and so that kind of drove my interest in um, conservation generally in that in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um and what I really started focusing on is like historic, the historiography around how gender um, has been analyzed in, in that context. Um, conservation, obviously, being a big umbrella term for a lot of different kinds of, uh, I would say, activism and, and interest and ideologies about, about capital N nature, um, which is highly debatable. Um, and then also how, how that fits in in the broader kind of reform ethos of that time. Uh, there's a lot of debate around whether or not we should call it the progressive era, uh, but generally conservation is considered one of the kind of branches or you know um, aspects of that kind of progressive era ethos that was driven largely by the by the middle class. So the specific project that you're spending time this week sort of yeah. exploring, tell me a little bit more about that. So, what are the questions that you're interested in? Yes. How it's taking shape? Because I know it's early. It is. It's very early process. in the in the project. Um, I'm particularly looking at images of women um, outdoors, trap shooting, hunting, fishing. Um, that's one aspect, how they're being depicted, how they're kind of um, being discussed or or analyzed in 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 the press um how the questions of femininity fit or masculinity fit into this how women are justifying you know shooting guns and sometimes killing animals which is considered kind of the opposite of what what ideologies of the time would would um would expect of women particularly of the elite class um and then i've also been looking at um some other collections that have to deal with kind of breeding and and using the the breeding for dogs and for horses um, and how different animals come into these activities um, both as sport and as hunting and and how much of it is you know for the actual uh, I would say trophies of hunting like the the questions of like what what people are hunting for is it for the activity for the sociality or is it for you know, um, subsistence and generally, obviously, for the elite classes, it's much more about the the sport and the, the social aspects. Um, some of the articles that I found are looking at how, you know, the these hunting parties where women are taking part, like they, they're followed by a big dinner and a party afterwards. Um, so those kinds of typical elite activities of the turn of the century. 
Yeah, tell me. I'm actually really interested in these these images and the sure. publications that you're looking at. Can you tell me a little sure. bit more and um, maybe share some examples of some of sure. the stuff that you've been finding? Yeah, so um, at the suggestion of Lucas Glosson down at um, the Soda House Archives, um, he pointed me in the direction of the Harriet Hammond scrapbooks. And so she was um, one of the founder. She was the founding founder of the the Nemours um, Trap Shooting Club for Women um, in the I think it's nineteen twelve nineteen fifteen around there. Um, and so she has this large scrapbook of all of these newspaper, mostly newspaper excerpts. Some some of them um, more personal um, items or or um, like pamphlet type informations that are that are would be given out at the time, but mostly newspapers. Uh, and so there's a diverse uh, kind of perspectives on on women and trap shooting. Um, so a lot of the women who are writing the articles themselves are saying this is a great way for us to exercise um, exercise, I guess the well exercise physical get physical exercise, um, but also to kind of um, demonstrate the the perseverance, the the poise, the consistency that all that all the sport takes. Um, so this idea of getting out in the fresh air is good for, good for you. Um, the, a lot of the trap shooting, they're not actually shooting animals. They're shooting, you know, clay, clay balls. Um, so there's not as much about women as like killing animals and that, that kind of a thing, but it's about, you know, the, the, the skill and the poise and the concentration that it takes. Um, there's some articles that are, more questioning whether or not women should be doing these things, considering how hypermasculine the sport is typically depicted as at the time. Um, there was one article where there's a famous husband and wife um, trap shooting team, and um, can't get, can't remember their name off the top of my head. <laughs> but uh, so the article was woman kissed um, in public, and it was about after she she shot like uh, a 99 out of 100 of them her husband came over and kissed her. But with the title of the article, it makes it out to be much more scandalous than it is. It's really just a husband and wife. I mean, sharing a relatively intimate moment in a public space, which is in and of itself really interesting. Um, but the, 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 uh, the, the title of the article was really attention grabbing. And then you get into it and you're like, well, okay, maybe not as scandalous as it's made out to be, but um, really interesting. The, the husband and wife duo, they travel around and, um, and they're very well known in like a, the kind of public circuit, I guess, is the, the way to describe that. Um, I mean, it sounds like this would have been a spectator event as well. Um, or is it really just, I mean, something like that sounds like it would have drawn a crowd. Yeah. Um, so the, the kind of, as much as right, those kind of more professional, um, those those individuals, that there, there would have been much more of a spectator aspect to it. Um, but still, depending on the event it's still this kind of a thing was much more in the elite it was not um as much of the common like average citizens coming out to watch uh the elite go hunting it wasn't it was much more of a private party um situation um i do think there would have been more of a general crowd for for those kinds of traveling individuals um but a lot of them seems to be local clubs um so a club of women competing against another club of women or you know obviously much more, many more clubs of men competing against men. Um, but so there's like articles about like the Philadelphia ladies hunting, uh, gun club against the Wilmington, um, ladies gun club and who's, who's, whoever gets the most, uh, you know, the, the prize, there's prizes and everything like that. So, 
Yeah, so um, can you say a little bit about where these sorts of um, events would take place? So a lot of them are on, um, there's like private hunting grounds, and some of them are on public hunting grounds, but a lot of the the clubs have organized um, clubhouses, um, probably less so for the women because women uh, did not have that same claim to to um, space that, that men did. Um, but for a lot of the hunting clubs that I'm looking at that that like William DuPont and some of the other DuPonts were involved in, they have like houses set up for, um, you know, that have that have, first of all, spaces to, to store everything. And they have kennels, they have um, um Hounds masters, so so they're they're very organized, very uh, kind of. There's people employed by these clubs. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it sounds as much as like you know, much like managing a, an estate or an elite household, as right. much as you know, it's just sort of that on in your moment of a, a different kind of outdoor leisure as opposed to the kinds of leisure that you experience inside the the home, the right. house. You right. Know. Right. And so a lot of the, the justification that these women are using is that it is, is an extension of the domestic setting, right? They're not, they're not breaking the domestic spheres, quote unquote, this idea of, of breaking the, the proper boundhood boundaries of womanhood, the proper boundaries of what's expected of, of a lady, especially of that class. They're justifying it by saying it's an extension of our, um, of our kind of activities as, as an elite privileged person. Um, it's not just sewing, right? There's also a lot of a lot of skill and a lot of um, refinement in in the sports that they're partaking in outside. And I assume that that comes across also um, in the in the text, which you've talked a little bit about how um, women are being discussed in some of these articles. Yeah, um, it'd be great if you could say a little more about that. But also, I imagine the images are also communicating something and yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're yeah. finding visually. So there's a lot of um, actual photographs of the women. Um, mostly they are very well dressed um, in, in formal attire. They're occasionally the slightly more sporting outfits, um, particularly amongst those that are kind of professional becoming well-known names as opposed to the local elite families that are partaking in this. Um there's some really interesting photos where the women are juxtaposed uh, next, next to the men where she's the only woman competing. Um, and so it's her and her dress and them all kind of, you know, in the same, the same uh, outdoor uniform. One of the things I noticed that was interesting, and this isn't necessarily with hunting, but with the fishing um, is there's a small collection here. Um, it's just women fishing illustrations where it's a couple of postcards. And then there's also one of them is an advertisement for um, sporting wear. Um, and so there there's three different depictions of women fishing. Um, one of them is very formal. It's so it's like several women and, and one young little girl dressed in like very refined, colorful, um, very put together um, fancy for, for lack of a better word, uh, clothing just kind of casually holding a fishing rod. Um, another one is much more sporting looking. The woman is with a man, um, clearly like doing this much less as a, much more as a sporting activity than just a casual Sunday afternoon, uh, fishing on the dock situation. Um, so it's, it's much more, um, uh, kind of streamlined clothing. It's not as, it's not as fancy, not as, um, colorful. And then the third one is a woman who is much young. She's younger um, and she it's just her. And she's it's very kind of idyllic and like almost sensual looking. It's she's in white and holding the, the rod kind of daintily with her hair just kind of 
lovely around her head. She's wearing a hat as well, but the <laughs> the image is much different than either of the other two. It's much, um, it's not as sporting and it's not as, you know, surrounded by women. It, it, it was, it was interesting. Um, so there's kind of all these different depictions uh, and less, less so in the hunting. I haven't seen as much variety because it's mostly live action as opposed to um, artists' renditions of women hunting. So most of them are actually photographs of the women um, in, in, on the ground shooting or, or holding the gun or um, that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what sorts of activities you can kind of capture yeah. now, right? Yeah. <laughs> or with a, a camera at right, this moment right, in time. Right, um, is, uh, your, your comments have actually made me curious about whether, to what extent the family is sort of a feature of some of these de- depictions, yeah. either visual or textual. Yeah, so I, there's some of the articles are very distinct to point out which women are married and which women are not, which is true of all discussion of women <laughs> at that time and in much later. Um, so there are a lot of couples doing this together. There are a lot of families taking part in, in these activities. Uh, there's not a lot of visuals of children around, generally speaking. Um, in the some of the hunting club bylaws that I've come across, they have distinctly marked out how many men and women can be in the um in the club um so one of the clubs distinctly said that the men there can be 100 men and 50 women and the women pay a slightly lesser fee (laughs) and then there's also a um a family rate where they can have a a husband and a wife and two children under the age of 21 um, to participate in the in the in the club but generally speaking the newspapers that have come across and um, are much more, um, much less about the family. A lot of the my studies before I came to Hagley, I was looking at outdoor life magazines, um, including Field of Stream, Forest and Stream, Outdoor Life itself, um, the Audubon magazine, which kind of takes a little bit of a turn, then divergent turn um, in the in the twentieth century. And a lot of those are very much about the family. They're very much about the children partaking, um, the idea, and this is also having to do with conservation, the idea of preserving for the children in the future, um, the idea of, of raising children responsibly, um, of raising children to be citizens in, in, in American society. There's a re- some really interesting kind of serial, serialized stories in some of the magazines, um, regarding children. Uh, and so it's kind of, it's much more prescriptive and, and maybe less, um, realistic than some of the, the sources that I found here. I, I just want to ask you a quick question also about some of the publications that sure. maybe these images are appearing in or where they're writing about this stuff. Can you say a little bit more about like what the, the nature of those publications are? Like who's producing them? Yeah. Who's reading them? So for the ones that are in the Harriet Hammond scrapbook, it's really hard. Some of them are really hard to tell because she's just cut out the articles and there's no titles. Um, frequently there's no bylines. So most of them seem to be kind of more um, state, like local newspapers, um, local publications. There's obviously a huge circulation of um, materials and print culture within the club aspect. Um, So for advertising for the clubs, um, printing up information for members, printing up um, various publications for members. The, um, the, The literature that I was looking at previously um, is it's really hard to track readership in the 19th century, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, 
you, you, there are a few numbers, particularly moving into the 20th century, you can kind of see which magazines are getting broader readership. Um, you can see there's a lot of overlap in who's editing them. So Field and Stream and Forest and Stream, for example, um, were originally two separate magazines. And then they, in the 1920s, they merged um, under, under Field and Stream. Um, the Audubon magazine and um, Forest and Stream were started 1870s, I believe. Yeah, at the turn of the century, it's, it's a little bit harder to get the readership. And there's a lot of magazines kind of going in and out of print um, at that time. So it's a little bit harder. But generally speaking, those involved in these sports and, and um, activities were of the upper, middle to upper middle to the elite class. Very, very few working or middle, 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 mid middle class families would be partaking in, in hunting outside of in this kind of a form, if that makes sense. They're not breeding dogs for hunting. They may have dogs themselves, but they're not following the, you know, the kennel club uh, um, standards for what has a good gait and what, and what dog does not. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of class differ differentiation and I think that the class differentiation increases throughout the 20th century, um, if that makes sense. In the, in the publications, um, do you also think in, in sort of, you know, what conservation means to these different groups as well? Is that also something that's, that's being discussed? Or that's changing or differentiating in a way that tracks with some of the things that you're finding in these publications? Yeah. So I think initial, I think conservation, um, it was a term that people then used, but I think it's also a term that historians and people looking back have kind of ascribed to a whole bunch of different movements and a whole bunch of different individual uh, ideologies that kind of fit under that kind of, it's like an umbrella, but there's a lot of differentiation. Um, like I was talking about with the debates in the national parks, there's similar things going on. Um, and so for field and stream, you can definitely see an emerging conversation, conservation, meaning setting aside public land for the use of hunting, for the use of sport, um, for, and, and questions of who has access to that land become increasingly important. Uh, whereas conservation for some of the other um, groups, particularly like Audubon, increasingly means setting aside land not to be touched, setting aside, um, you know, creating, um, working on species preservation, preservation, uh, both of obviously birds as their main focus, but also of plant life, of um other other species in general so the idea of keeping things alive for as long as possible as opposed to having a space to partake in killing things <laughs> that makes sense mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of interesting kind of contradictions in the ideologies about uh how how to use land how to use uh <laughs> animals um what animals need to be preserved and what ones should be used for the hunting of others um yeah, there's um, Lucas also pointed me in the direction of um, some literature on uh, using dynamite blasting in agriculture. So the, the Hercules Powder Company produced a calendar. Um, and so their advertisements are about the, you know, the blasting and everything. And there's there's a couple of really great images. But one of them is of um, in the background, there's a man blasting dynamite. And in the foreground, there are a couple of sportsmen um with guns in hand and dogs at their feet, who, and everyone kind of looks frightened. <laughs> this kind of um, increasing role of technology in 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 the sport and in um, and in in the use of people's spaces and the use of in in nature and, and those kinds of kind of big questions about how how that plays a role 
and how using technology to get back to nature um, in, in quotations there um, is, in, is increasingly uh, prevalent going into the 20th, going into further into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about the meanings of conservation for um, some of the readership for these popular magazines that have, you know, sort of a wider readership. I'm curious about what these materials that you're looking at here, you know, like for these trap shooting clubs Mm. and, you know, newsletters, local articles and things like that. Is there kind of a different cast on what conservation means? How does that connect to some of these? So the the actual term conservation is not showing up super frequently. I mean, it does in the in the field and stream and the I'm sorry, the forest and stream and Audubon in the um, the more local hunt club um, bylaws and charters and things like that. There's a lot more discussion about what is a good hunter um, what, what is the correct and appropriate, um, way to behave as a sportsman, right? So that, the, that everyone can hunt, everyone can pick up a gun. One of the articles is like, after 12, any boy can pick up a gun and shoot an animal that does not make him a sportsman, right? So this, um, this question of, of the proper, uh, procedures, the proper techniques, the proper, um, habits, um, and those start from choosing the right materials to to going at the right times to choosing the right um, targets of animals. Um, it's not it's it's it, it's made a sport by the way you participate in it, not just simply by doing the act of taking up a gun and, and hunting an animal. So I would say that there's more um, kind of hinted at. It's, it's kind of more hinted at the the idea of conservation is the uh, appropriateness of the type of um, hunting that you're that you're doing that the there's kind of a, um, I don't want to say paternalist, but it's like a paternalist attitude towards it's our responsibility um, to do this properly. Um, and I think that comes through from the 19th century through the 20th century, that that kind of ideology about what a true sportsman is, what a true hunter is, is very prevalent. Um, and even if they're not explicitly saying we need to do this for conservation's sake, that there is kind of an ethos there that, that suggests that. What what do you, you know, do you have any sort of preliminary conclusions or ideas mm-hmm. about what they might reveal about the questions that you're interested in, which, I, you know, I, I gather, you know, are, are somewhere at the intersection of race and class yes. and gender <laughs> and conservation? Yes. I think a lot of what my conclusions will probably be leaning towards is the inherent contradictions in these ideologies that one can simultaneously... Um, kill something that they believe they're helping to preserve, that they're doing the right, that this, this goes back to the kind of like the Audubon, right? James, um, John James Audubon would kill the birds to depict them. And then the Audubon society, which was dedicated to preserving birds named their society after the man who killed a bunch of them and drew pictures of them. Right. So, but B, he did it in the name of science. He did it in the name of knowledge and that he did it for the right reasons, for the benefit of mankind so that we could all gain, well, not we, but the proverbial, we could all gain knowledge from his study of them. Um, and so I think that that's a lot of where my conclusions will probably be going is that a lot of these activities and ideologies surrounding both um, conservation and how to participate w- within nature are incredibly dependent upon um, ideologies of class and race and gender of the time. And that perhaps as much as the interest in is in um, participating in sport or, or preserving nature, quote unquote, 
that there's also the interest in preserving your own status. The middle class of this of the era, middle and elite classes of the era, are are, are very aware of uh, growing cultural anxieties about race, about gender, about class, and they're very interested in preserving their own position of privilege within those systems. Um, I often think about the work of Gail Biederman, whose book *Manliness and Civilization* um, kind of addresses all of these um, aspects in in a really fascinating um, in a really fascinating way, and and I think that. I'm hoping my research can kind of pick up a strand of that with regards to how those kinds of aspects or those kinds of um, questions are are being uh, adapted or or um, I guess aligned with ideologies around nature and around around animals and plants and yeah. So I, I don't know if I, that's necessarily a preliminary conclusion. Um, but I do think that what my research here has given me is kind of kind of more personal um, stories, more individuals, whereas a lot of the work I had done previously was looking at those magazines, which there are occasional narratives, first person narratives, a lot of them and a lot of the, some of the ones that I found here are by, you know, the elusive sportsman, um, you know, the hunter, um, an experienced hunter or, or something like that. Um, but so my interest from going back to when I, you know, when I get home and I go back through all of the documents that I've collected, I'm hoping I can actually attach some some names and faces to these kinds of, you know, abstract readership that I've been talking about in, in some of my other my other research so far that hopefully I can actually kind of trace the individual lives and how these activities are fitting in more specifically into daily life, into um into daily, uh, you know, social culture and things like so, like social life and in, in the broader culture, because um, obviously these things are not taking place in a vacuum. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that I can kind of follow up some of the individuals that I'm that I'm I'm finding and see how their participation um, either supports or contradicts the more prescriptive literature that I've I have been studying. To learn more about Hagley's grants and fellowships and search our collections, visit hagley.org research. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot org. And to listen to more stories from the stacks, you can find us at hagley.org slash stories from the stacks, all one word, or simply subscribe to our feed on iTunes or SoundCloud. Be sure to stay tuned for our new podcast, The Mill Race, launching in July 2018.